Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, man, it's so good to be back. Happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if uh, anybody cares. Um, did you guys know that they play the Super Bowl when the Patriots aren't in it? <laughs> It's been like 20 years, but they're going to try it today. Um, but uh, anybody in here planning on watching the game? Like you're like actually, okay, so there's still about have you. How many of you are watching because you like like football? How many of you are watching because you want like commercials and halftime show? Okay, now we're getting down to it. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. I really am. If this is your first time at Harbor Church or your first time in a long time, or maybe you're tuning in online and checking us out that way. Thanks. Thanks for being here. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor at Harbor Church. And uh, man, I'm thrilled. I really am thrilled that you're with us. Uh, I wasn't able to be here last week. Um, we're covering from a cold, but man, it's good to be back and jump back into this series. Um, we have been talking about Not Today, Satan for a few weeks now, and we're down to our last two weeks in this series before we go on to another one. And what we have done is we've tried to dismantle uh, this, this uh, being this Satan, Lucifer, the devil, this enemy of ours who comes at us in a lot of different ways. So in the very first week, if you weren't here, let me recap for you real quick. What we talked about in the first week, and these build on each other, we said you got to know your enemy. And we said that Satan will, normally comes and attacks you, attacks myself, attack, attacks believers in, in three different ways. He's a deceiver, he's a destroyer, and he's a devourer. And we talked about these ways he wants to come at you. And then we began to break them down into different categories. So the, very, uh, the next week, the first time we, we, we really got into Satan, we looked at his first attack in the Garden of Eden where he comes after Eve. And he, he works with delusions. He begins to twist God's word and begins to try to tempt her in a way to not really understand what she believes and why she believes it and to, to take a fruit that she was told she couldn't take. So he worked with the delusions. Then we jump from the Garden of Eden to Satan attacking Jesus himself. Satan comes after Jesus in the New Testament and begins to tempt him with all these different things. And, and, and we see him go from delusions to detachment. He waited until Jesus was detached from everybody else. When Jesus was alone, he loves to pick on that, that solo person who doesn't have friends, doesn't have people around them. We then looked, uh, at, at, as, we, as we jumped into um, week three, or I'm sorry, technically week four, um, John Petty brought us to where Satan goes and, and it's his, his goal is to destroy Job using discouragement. And he does. He is such a discourager. He's such a liar. He's, he doesn't play fair. You need to understand this about the devil. And now after he comes and, and just, man, pounding after pounding on, on, on Job just to try to get Job to, to curse God and die. And by the way, I just got to give props, man. John Petty, I called him on a Saturday night to fill in for me on a Sunday morning. He did a great job last week. That is not easy. Our church is blessed. I am blessed as a pastor that our church has men and women that are just, that are faithful, that are here. I was laying in bed and I knew that everybody that had said, hey, we're going to show up, we're going to serve. You don't need Josh. And that's the truth. Man, God has put his hand on Harbor. I'm so glad that we have leaders and volunteers and people that, are, that make this happen. It is definitely not just me. Um, and, and, and I appreciate what, what John talked about last week. Because um, if, if you understand Satan and how he works, that discouragement was a key part of, of his plan. Let's go, let, let's continue on. And I'm going to, these last two weeks, this week and, and next week, I'm going to show you the, probably the two most common attacks. The one I think you'll resonate with the most most of you will be today. Next week, our final week, we'll look at the attack he uses most that you may not even realize 
uh, he is, he's using on you. But today, we're going to move from how he used Job. And if you read that story of Job or if you listened to John's message, Job's friends are a big part of the discouragement that's, that, Job, that, that Satan uses in Job's life. Job's friends show up, and for a week, they sit there quiet. That was the best thing they could do as friends. <laughs> but then the rest of the book of Job, and it's a lot of chapters, they open their mouth, and they start trying to make things better or figure it out or tell Job what to do. And it's just a big expose on how people just get in the way. And so today, I want to I capitalize that. I want to talk about people. <laughs> and uh, some of you are like, all right, about time. I, Pastor, I brought some people with me I'd like you to deal with. You're going to find yourself on both sides of this story. I want you to see what it's like to have people in your life uh, that discourage you and bring you down. Um, and I want you to also try to recognize as God speaks to you today, you might be the person who's doing that to somebody else. Did you notice how much quieter it was when I said that part? <laughs> Let's go back to the part where people tick me off, Pastor. Let's talk about that. Well, here's what Satan does. He loves to use people as distractions. So we've talked about his delusions and his detachments and his discouragements. Uh, today, we're going to talk about how he's, he's a master of distraction. And I think what he loves to use in our life to distract us from what God has for us, I think he loves to use people. He did it not, not only to all the other believers and a lot of people throughout Scripture. He does it to Jesus. And he uses somebody very unique. So here's what I'd like to show you. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you. But I'd like to show you this passage where, where Satan uses one of Jesus' disciples to try to discourage, to try to distract Jesus himself. This is found in Matthew chapter 16. <coughs> Excuse me. I've got to save a little bit of voice for the next service. So um, I'm going to try to take, I'm trying not to yell as much, but I get excited about this, man. It's fun. All right, so Matthew chapter 16, if you read the first part, Jesus is doing miracles. He has this really in-depth and really like good conversation with his disciples, but we're going to pick it up at verse 21. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching his disciples, guys, I'm about to go be crucified. I'm about to go die on the cross. You, need to, you guys need to understand this. It's still amazing that Jesus spells it out plainly, and his disciples are like, we can't believe this happened. And then when the, the girls are like, the tomb's empty on the third day, they're like, we had no clue. Jesus right here is like, it says he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the leaders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He knew he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. This is, this is Jesus like just teaching his disciples. Let me show you what happens, and then we'll come back and, and, and break it down. It says, verse number 22, <clears throat> but Peter took him aside and began reprimanding him, saying, saying, uh, for saying such things, going, heaven forbid, Jesus, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, maybe you've heard this story before, maybe you haven't, but man, I love this story. Um, Jesus tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And uh, if we're going to talk about Satan and how he uses people, I think this is a great story to use. Let's go back to the first verse we read in verse number 21. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is teaching his disciples about things to come. Jesus was doing good, was in the middle of doing something good when an attack came. You might want to write that down. 
Because as soon as you start trying to do the right thing, do something good, expect Satan to be like, oh, I don't like this. Some of you are like, man, and I've heard all these things. People talk about Satan attacking him. Satan leaves me alone. Listen, he hates anything that God loves. So when you go on mission, when you start trying to do the right thing, don't be surprised that attacks come. And he comes after Jesus in the middle of teaching. When it says that Jesus, when it says Peter took him aside, the, the Greek is actually Peter interrupts Jesus in the middle of Jesus's teaching. Uh, excuse me, Jesus, let me fix that. We'll come to that here in a second. But this is, this is how Satan works. This is, this is where it's at. What I'm trying to tell you is, uh, I, I hope that as God works in your heart and you feel conviction and you feel God pulling you to do some things, to take some steps in your faith, I hope you continue down that path, even though it won't be easy all the time. By the way, Jesus doesn't stop doing good just because he gets discouragement from Peter here. Jesus, unlike us, goes, hey, I, this is, I got to go on. You and I are like, well, somebody doesn't like what I'm doing. I'm done. That's not how it's supposed to work. Understand opposition's coming. Think about it this way. When, when are you most tempted to eat something bad? Right as soon as you start your diet. <laughs> You're like, ah, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat vegetables. That's what I'm doing. I'm working out. Listen, yesterday, yesterday my gym started a challenge, 800-gram challenge. All we're supposed to do is eat a way more fruits and vegetables. That's what they said. Just eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. That started yesterday. You want to know what I found yesterday? <laughs> My favorite candy bar for the longest time has been a take five, take, take five candy. I love them. That's the top one. Yesterday, I found that Reese's took over take five and have added Reese's peanut butter to it. <laughs> it was a temptation that your pastor succumbed to. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like... <laughs> I'm walking up to the checkout aisle like... Sorry, I'm sticking in the bag. Let's go. With like a drug deal going down. I'm just, it was bad, but I, had, I knew I wasn't going to cheat on my diet, but then, man, I ran right into temptation, right? And this is how it works. You're trying to do good, and Satan comes at you with a, with a, with a trap. It really does. That's really how it works. I promise you, you're like, I'm going to start making church a priority. Guess what morning you will be the most tired? Sunday morning. I promise you, my kids get up out of bed like in the, when it's dark out. They're like waking me up like I'm hungry. I'm like, it's 3.30 in the morning. Go back to bed. They wake up all week long waking me up out of sleep except for Sunday morning. Those kids dead asleep. Time to go to church. I'm like, that's how it works. You're going to sit there and go, man, I'm going I'm to start, start trusting. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start tithing. Man, then all of a sudden, boom, a bill comes in. Something else. Oh, man, money got tight. As soon as I said I was going to trust God with my finances, oh, I got pulled this way. As soon as you go, God, use me in my workplace. Use me to love people. I want to reach out and do something for you. As soon as you start taking that step, here comes somebody to knock you down. Why are you doing that? That's a stupid thing to do. I wouldn't do it that way. Blah, blah, blah. And you're going, I was just trying to do something good. This is how it works. Just understand, when you get into going good, Satan's going to come after you with an attack. But let's move into that actual distraction of what happens next. Verse 22. <clears throat> but Peter. But Peter. In the middle of doing good, but Peter jumps in. Let's break this down. Peter reprimands him. He interrupts him. He corrects him. One of the versions says rebukes him. All right? 
How often do you and I, let's just sidestep, before we're like, I'm so Jesus in this story, everybody's a Peter and they're on my case. I'm sure we all have that. How many times are you and I Peter? And how many times do we interrupt what God's doing? Everybody's got a comment. Trust me, I get your emails. I know everybody's got a thought. <laughs> Let me tell you how I would have done it. Let me, I get that. We all have that. There, I can't tell you how many times I'll be in the middle of my prayer, and I'm like, now, God, if you would just do this, 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 change this, make this happen. And God must be like, I don't know how I ran the world without you, Josh. Thank you for your, oh, man, your sound wisdom. This advice you're giving me, I don't know what I'd do without it. That's how we feel, though, when we talk to God, like as if though God needs us to correct him and make the plan right. That's arrogance and pride, by the way. The more often you can get your prayer to be, God, let me accept whatever it is your will is. Remember Job? Hey, I, I was born with nothing. If I die with nothing, I, I, I came in and left the same way. That's a man who lost everything because his heart wasn't, God, give me what I want. His heart was, God, have your way. When your prayers can be that, you're not the kind of person who interrupts God. Jesus was in the middle of trying to teach him something, and he's like, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So how often do we interrupt God? But let me also lead with this. Peter, if you want to understand Peter, I, my heart breaks for Peter. And I've told you guys this before. I so want to be John, the disciple, the beloved of Jesus. That's who I want to be. I have recognized I am more Peter than John. <laughs> Peter says things and then thinks about them afterwards. His filter is a few minutes behind where it should be. Um, and he swears a lot. Um, he, he's, he's bold and he's, he's outgoing and he's, he's usually the first to react. I love that about him. He's a take charge kind of guy, but he's, he's so emotion filled here. He is reacting because he loves Jesus. I need you to understand this. He loves Jesus. That's, his, that's not only his Messiah, that in this, in, in, even in this time, that, that's his rabbi, that's his teacher, that's his mentor, that's his best friend. He's been doing life with this guy. And this guy's going, hey, I'm about ready to go into Jerusalem and be murdered. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna beat me up and kill me. And he hears him say that. He goes, no, I'll never let that happen. Do you understand that in that moment, he reacts with his emotions? This is the problem with our culture. Our culture says, be emotion-filled and let that drive you. The Bible tells us that our heart is corrupt. Now, I need you to understand, emotions are great because that's what separates us from the animals. That's what, that, that's, God has given you emotions to make you, to make you act in a certain way to help you, help you identify with people. It's good to have compassion and love and sympathy and to be able to work with people. These are good things, but they're not meant to control you. He was filled with this love emotion for Jesus, and he was still wrong. You get that? I can't tell you how many times I have meetings with people. Well, this is just what I felt. I just really felt like I needed to do this. I just really thought. I just really wanted. I just really liked. And they're wrong. You cannot be the Lord of your life. Your emotions, your heart, your good intentions, they are not the judgment stick. They are not the ruling uh, factor in your life, or at least they shouldn't be. And if that's how you, that's how you live your life, you, you are very susceptible be, to being a puppet of Satan. He loves to pull on the string. Now, it, it might not be love and, and passion. He might pull on the string of anger. Feel me? Come on. Any, any, any uh, bad drivers out there? You know, you're like, ah. <laughs> when your emotions run uncontrolled, 
The Bible says that a, that a person who doesn't control their emotions in Proverbs chapter 16, it says that they're like a, a city that's broken down without a wall. You have no defense against Satan when your emotions are the things that control. Now, some of you in here are like, yeah, that's right. I have no emotions. You've got a different problem. We've got to talk. <laughs> but, but just our culture says let your emotions be the thing that guides you, and that's not what the Bible says. And Peter, by the way, is being led by emotions. Peter finds, I want you to understand this, Peter finds a shortcut for Jesus, right? Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross. Don't die on the cross. That sounds painful. That doesn't sound good for you. He's, he's playing the role of a protector for his friend Jesus, and he's making a mistake. He's offering, by the way, the same thing to Jesus that Satan did. Satan in the desert says, Jesus, I'll give you all of these kingdoms if you'll just bow down and worship me. Now, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. Jesus is going to be the king and Lord of everyone. Even the atheists, the people who have no belief in him, will one day be forced to go, wow, you really are the son of God. That's going to happen. The Bible says that's coming. Jesus gets that. He's going to get that, that win but it's just not right now. And he knows that between now and then, he has to die on the cross to become the final sacrifice for our sins so that he can be the way that mankind is redeemed and brought close to God. The cross has to happen. Satan's like, the cross doesn't have to happen. I'll let you be king of the world without the cross. Jesus refuses it. Now Jesus' friend is going, you don't need to go to the cross, Jesus. That doesn't need to happen. You don't have to let that happen. Do you understand the temptation that's taking place here? If you're Jesus and you're facing crucifixion, a Roman crucifixion was brutal. They designed it to scare you so much that you wouldn't do whatever crimes were punishable by crucifixion because crucifixion was so bad. It was known that if the Romans were coming to get you to crucify you, most of those people just committed suicide. They did not want to be crucified. That's how, that's how torturous it was. And so... When Peter and Satan are saying, hey, you don't need that, that's a huge temptation. And what, I'm, what, I, what I notice from this, <coughs> in this role of trying to protect people, often we, we, we offer our friends shortcuts that don't actually help them. This is, this is how God misuses friendships. I love this person. I care for this person. And so we tell them, it's okay to do something wrong. Because you're hurting. Guys, I can't tell you how many people I've, ha I've had to counsel through. Well, all my friends thought this was a good idea. And listen, I know your friends love you, but they're stupid. <laughs> I'm stupid. I, I, listen, I, I have to stop myself in the middle of trying to give somebody advice because I'm like, God, what do you want for them? Maybe this is what, what they're, they're walking through this because on the other side of this valley, you're bringing them to a mountaintop, but they're never going to experience that mountaintop if we keep trying to make all the valleys go away. Oh, this is not bad. There's nothing bad here. Nothing. No, it's a struggle and it's hard. And sometimes the best thing you could do as a friend is what Job's friends did first is just sit there quietly and be like, I, I'm here with you. I ain't got the answers. I can't solve it. I can't figure it out. I can just be your friend. That was the best thing they could have done. It's when they start opening their mouths and be like, let's talk about how you die. Don't be that person in an effort to protect that you offer a shortcut that isn't really God's plan. Sometimes just being a friend that walks through the battle instead of trying to avoid the battles is really what God's called you to. This is true, by the way. <coughs> this is going to hurt a little bit. This is true, by the way, for you parents. 
Trying to protect your kids from every single battle that's ever going to take place is not actually helping them. There are eventually going to be a soldier left on their own without you, having never fought a single battle, and you're not actually preparing them for the real world. You're actually weakening them so they have no way to stand on their own. I'm not saying your job, by the way, as a parent is to protect, but part of protecting is getting them to a place where they know how to go into battle on their own because you won't always be there with them. And this is what we do to our friends. This is what we do to our families. We misunderstand what God's called us to in friendships, and we actually distract from what the real point is. But let me, let me emphasize on this, this last part. Peter was a friend. Do you recognize that? This isn't, this isn't one of the Pharisees. This isn't one of the, the skeptics that are coming up. This was, this was an actual friend. The, if, if an enemy comes to you with a discourage, if, en- if an enemy comes to you tearing you down, you kind of expect that, right? Right? I mean, like they're an enemy. They, this, this person doesn't get me. I've never liked her. He doesn't understand. We're not close. You could almost blow it off. I mean, Babe Ruth said that the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. <laughs> you expect the people with the least involvement in your life to be the ones that, that bring you down. So as much as it hurts to get a random comment from somebody you don't know on, on social media, you can be like, well, what do they know? But when it's words from somebody that's close to you, am I speaking to anybody today? When it's the person in your family, when it's the person that's, that's, remember, Peter wasn't just a good friend of Jesus. Peter was on the inner circle. Peter was mentioned as one of the three closest in Jesus. This is one of Jesus's best friends. His best friends, Peter, James, and John were the three closest to, to Jesus. And it was Peter that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's hard when it's somebody that you're not expecting it to come from. I expect those Pharisees, I expect those, those, those naysayers, those skeptics, those people that hate me, I expect them to discourage me and distract me, but I wasn't expecting somebody I love. You got to remember, Peter wasn't like the weak disciple. There's some disciples, you don't even know their names. You know, like, what'd that guy do? Peter's the home slice that gets out of the boat in a storm and walks on water. If there is like the best of the best disciples, it's Peter. He's like, man, he, he does it. By the way, <laughs> this protector thing that Peter's got, it doesn't leave him. A few chapters later, Jesus is in the garden, and the soldiers come to arrest him to crucify him. He takes out a sword, cuts off a dude's ear. I mean, he's, he loves Jesus. He's there. He's got his back. This isn't a bad friend. This is just a misguided friend who Satan is using to try to distract. That's why you and I are also Peter, not just Jesus in this story. But it, it, this, the fact that it's a friendship is what really, really I want you to, to key in on, because... These are, the, these are the ones that usually knock us down the hardest, the people that are closest to us. Who's in your inner circle? It might be somebody you're sitting next to today. It might be your spouse, your parents. It might be that best friend, that coworker you're really tight with. When that person discourages you, man, that's, that's not just like a, somebody throwing a pebble. That's somebody dropping a boulder on you. It's just so much heavier. Think about the weight that you carry for the people you're sitting next to. I want you to feel that that responsibility right now. Your words carry a lot more weight for some of the people you're close to. You're sitting there going, oh, man, it's not a big deal. No, no, no. Understand, Satan will use you and the people that you're closest to in an attack. We all expect our enemies to attack us. When we're blindsided by that inner circle, man, that's where Satan finds so many of his victories. So parents, watch how you talk to your kids. Doesn't mean don't give them discipline, don't give them structure, but 
don't be misused. Kids, same way with your parents. Siblings, brothers and sisters, God put you in a family. Learn how to protect each other. The coworker that you spend so much time with, understand you might be the greatest influence in their life. More so than all the other people that they know. They may like other people more than you, but you have more influence in their life. Just begin to think through the responsibilities that we have as inner circle people. So there's Peter taking him aside. Let's, uh, let's get to Jesus' response. Jesus, in verse number 23, uh, it says, Turn to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. Not today, Satan. Can you imagine being Peter? Like, Jesus, I don't think you should do that. Don't do that cross. Get behind me, Satan. Sorry, Jesus. Did you just call me Satan in front of all of our bros? <laughs> you know Thomas is never going to let me live this down. <laughs> Like, Peter must have just been so, like, ah. Like, does anybody else feel the awkwardness of Jesus telling Peter, get behind me, Satan? I read this, and I'm like, not my Jesus. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't do that to somebody, Jesus. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in, on the initial read, this, this seems out of character for the Son of God to look at his best friend and say, get behind me, Satan. Get out of here. No, get behind me. And by the way, he's not saying that Peter is possessed by Satan. He's saying, Peter, you're being used to tempt me in the same way that Satan is. But he says it publicly because his disciples are hearing Peter tell Jesus what he can and can't do. And Jesus now has to publicly correct Peter and everybody else so that they're all on the same page. Hey, this needs to happen. Here's what I wanted you to notice. This isn't inconsistent. What Jesus is all about love, and right here he hates Peter. It seems so inconsistent. If you read verse 16 of this same chapter, Jesus is like, Peter, you're the man. You're right. Because he, he asked all of his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? Peter, because he talks first, thinks second. He's quick. He's like, you're the Messiah. Messiah. And Jesus is like, you're right. Good job, Peter. He's praising Peter. He's like, Peter, you're awesome, man. Great job. This is, this is, this is, this is a profound answer. And, and Peter gets a whole bunch of praise. And a few minutes later, Peter, you're Satan. Get behind me. <laughs> oh, that's so inconsistent, is it not? Hold up. What I think Jesus is demonstrating for us is that, con that real consistency is that you tell the truth always. Was Peter right when Jesus was the Messiah? Yes. And Jesus praised that. Was Peter wrong when he said that Jesus could avoid the cross? Yes, and so Jesus pointed out both of those things were truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus was not being inconsistent by praising him one minute and correcting him the next. Sometimes that's where we're at because sometimes you and I are like, everything I say is right, everything I do is correct, and God's like, that was right, but that was wrong, and you're like, I made a mistake? I don't appreciate this, God. Feels like Jesus is coming down. I'm like, you can be right one minute and then turn right around and do something stupid the next nobody wrote that down <laughs> nobody peter was so right there and then so wrong see what what satan was hoping for was an inconsistency in jesus he was hoping that jesus wouldn't correct that he praised peter when he was right so maybe he'll just blow over the whole avoid the cross thing jesus is consistent and he's holding to truth this is hard to do with your friends we like to pat our friends on the back, our family members on the back, but then it, it hurts when we see them doing something stupid and we're like, 
Let's just hope they figure that out on their own. I don't want to be the friend that tells them they're wrong. Do you understand? That's not helpful either. Well, pastor, doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? Yeah. It's talking about having inconsistencies. When you start judging without taking a look at yourself, you're a hypocrite. Jesus wasn't being inconsistent. He wasn't being hypocritical. He was being the definition of consistent. This is right. This is right. This is right. I'm right. You're wrong. He keeps going back to truth. It's hard to be a good friend to stay in truth because sometimes telling your friend, your family member, the person you love, the truth hurts them. And so we just look, look away. I hope they see that they're walking off a cliff. I don't want to be the negative friend. You're not helping them in that either. You want to understand how much Satan loves to use inconsistencies in, in Christians? He loves to see you act one way when it's easy and then switch. Oh, I'm, I'm all about truth. Well, you know, I mean, at work, I'm about truth when it benefits me. But let's not tell the truth if it costs me a few minutes or a few dollars. Oh, now you're inconsistent. Oh, I, I'm all about truth, uh, except for when it comes to the politicians that I like and dislike. I don't talk about politics at Harbor Church because I can't, you know, but I, I like separation of church and state. But let me just say it. Some of you have prayed more for one of the past two presidents than you have prayed for the other. And this room's probably pretty split on which way. Anyway, we're probably 50-50 on which side of the, the aisle you would, you would recognize yourself on. But if you've prayed more for one of the last two presidents than you've prayed for the other, you're inconsistent. You are. You really are. Just own that. And by the way, your friends and coworkers know that about you. You love this person and you can't love the next. God's called you to say, hey, where, where am I at? If I'm going to pray for the one I like, I'm also going to pray for the one I don't like. I'm going I'm to be consistent as the person that God has called me to be to love everyone when it's easy and when it's hard. If you want truth, notice that when truth is applied to everywhere, even the place that it's hard, consistent truth is going is to really show you who you are. Consistently, all the other kids in your, in your child's class are monsters. And so is yours. <laughs> you don't understand, Pastor. The teacher said that my child did this. They probably did. <laughs> Not mine. It, be consistent. Yes, they did. Just own it. Like we, we like to see one side of the coin. We don't like to see the other. Satan loves to use our inconsistencies. He loves to do that. Here's something I want you to, to, to see, though, is that Jesus calls this out. And he says, hey, this is a trap. This is a trap. This is a trap. This is not good for me. He says, get away from me, Satan. This is a dangerous trap. This is something that Satan is trying to get me to fall into. And Jesus doesn't fall into it. And here's what I want you to see is the thing that doesn't happen in this story. Have you noticed about, like, sometimes we would assume certain things, and it's not there because it's not in the character of Jesus. Or it also might give us a little bit of what Satan's plan was. Who... Do we not see in this story that we would expect to see in this story? I think of Judas. If Satan was going to use one disciple to be the guy that he like, hey, do this to Jesus, it'd be Judas, right? Like we would all kind of understand this story if Judas was like, hey, uh, you shouldn't go to the cross. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You're like, yeah, tell Judas off. <laughs> it's not Judas. It's not Judas. If you're one of the other disciples sitting there watching, you're going, if you had to like take inventory at the end of that awkward conversation, where I'm sure there was some like awkward silence, <laughs> you know, kicking some rocks with your sandals, just looking down, like, don't say nothing to Jesus. 
Give him some space. The other disciples are like, yeah, I bet you Peter's on the out. Right? Peter, Peter would have been the low guy on the totem pole. You would have assumed after this conversation, Judas would be one of the top ranking disciples. It's weird that Satan doesn't use Judas here, that Judas isn't the one. I think because we know how the story turns out, we can go back and see that it, it doesn't happen that way for a reason. But I want you to understand something, that every enemy that you encounter isn't permanent. In this moment, Peter was an enemy of Jesus' plan. He, he didn't understand. He was actually fighting against what God's plan was for Jesus. But every enemy in your life isn't permanent. And just because Judas didn't, doesn't mean he wouldn't one day. So although every enemy in your life isn't permanent, neither is every friend. You understand that? And this is heavy because we like to assume none of this is ever going to happen to us, but it does. Every person who loves you today may not love you tomorrow. And some of the people that, don't, that you don't feel the love from right now might be your future best friend. Some of the people that right now you, don't, you wouldn't care, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, if they were on fire, you wouldn't cross the street to put them out. You're like, I don't like that person. That may not be, that may not be the way it's going to stay forever. God may actually have a relationship for you with them. Just understand that about yourself because we're quick to write people off. That's not the case. It wasn't Judas, it was Peter. But that's why I like the second part. Jesus doesn't go scorched earth on Peter. In this moment, Peter, how stupid are you? I'm done with you. Jesus could have just been done with Peter, like a lot of us would have been. You don't get it. You don't see the plan. You're a discouragement. You're a trap. You're being used by Satan. Get away from me. I never want anything to do with you again. Is that what Jesus says? Just so you know, I believe Peter goes on to do more work for the gospel than any of the other disciples in this, in this story. The Bible, and we don't know everything, we don't, everything's not recorded, we, we, there's no way to possibly know the impact of all their gospel, but what, what is recorded out of all the disciples, Peter does the most. But in this moment, it could have been the end of his story. How many people in your life, it's the end of the story because you're like, you hurt me, you're done, you're out, you misused. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, there are Judases and there are people you're like, hey, there's no room, I, I gotta go forward and you're, you're unhealthy. But that's not the case for Peter. That's not the case for Peter. Not everybody is a Judas. Do you get that? I think the fact that Jesus shows self-control speaks to the kind of person who Jesus is. I want to show you a quote from Benjamin Franklin because I think it will encourage you here. All right? Benjamin Franklin's not known for all of his, uh, for being super spiritual, but I thought this was really good. Remember to not only say the right thing in the right place, but far more difficult still is to, to leave unsaid the wrong thing at that tempting moment. It's hard to not scorch earth somebody. It's hard to not let them know how stupid you think they are. Some of you haven't learned that filter at all. You're just like, well, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. Like, you're quicker to go to take it up the next level. It's a way you protect yourself. There's some of you, you have been done with other people and you go. Some of you, your marriages are struggling because if you feel hurt, your response is to hurt back on a higher level. Some of you, your friendships have been damaged because you couldn't not say the thing to hurt them because they had already hurt you. Peter hurt Jesus here. His close friend 
is tempting him, being used in the wrong way, discouraging him. Why not hurt Peter back? It does sound like he hurt Peter back. It's like, well, he was pretty harsh. He, 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 he pulled it. He, he, he made sure he corrected Peter, but didn't crush Peter. You and I, when given the opportunity, often we just go straight to crush. So leaving that one part said, uh, you know, unsaid, just remember, I, I, we know the Bible. Peter has such a bright future from here. I mean, he screws up again. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I told you I ident- identify with him. Um, but he also has a bright future. He does so much for the gospel. And Jesus knew that because he had made a mistake doesn't mean he had to be done with him. This is where we struggle. This is where you and I struggle. I don't want to leave you with that. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Not the distractions of Peter. You and I, maybe today God's telling you don't be that kind of Peter to other people. Don't be Peter in other people's life. Don't pull them down, even in an effort to protect them. Don't be a discouragement or a distraction. But I want you to also understand how Jesus tells us to deal with it. Jesus looks at him and says, hey, this is a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. So this is what Jesus does. He, he counters distraction with direction. He says, you're seeing it from a human standpoint. If you really want to understand how to not be a distraction, you need to start seeing things from God's plan. God has a direction for my life, Peter. I've got to do this thing because God has called me to do this. When you lean into what God has called you to do at work, at home, in your relationships, in your personal life, in your finances, in your health, when you lean into the man or the woman that God has created you to be, it will give you a direction that allows you to fight off the distractions. Jesus outlines it for us there. He sets it up in verse 23, and then he goes right into verse 24, and he says this, Disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, the man heading to the cross is telling all the other people trying to stop him from the cross, hey, if you'll learn to give up your life, then you're actually going to gain it. You'll gain it. for my. If you'll give it up, you'll actually save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? you got to understand the power of this speech. What do you gain if you get the whole world? The man who had that same temptation earlier, given, being tempted with the whole world, all the empires and power of the world were laid before him if he would just skip the cross and worship Satan is now being tempted again to skip sacrifice. This is, this is the whole point I need you to get because this is the power of this passage. Satan and Peter both were being used to distract Jesus from self-sacrifice in order to find that, that shortcut, that easy way. And what Jesus is saying is if you'll give up your life, if you'll embrace self-sacrifice, that's when you're going to find God's direction for your life. That's when you're going to find purpose. I'm looking at a room full of people, maybe you're watching online, and I'm going to bet that many of you don't really have that purpose, that goal, that understanding, that direction from God. He says, if you'll do this, you'll find it. And he goes, but what does it gain if you get the whole world and you lose your soul? Is there anything more important than your soul? What he's saying is, this life is temporary. What we've got is an eternal life that we have to look for. 
What happens after you leave this planet? If all you do this while you're on this side of the dirt is look out for yourself. If all you do is focus on what you can buy yourself, who you can date, how much money you can get, how many toys you can have, how much prestige or titles or a comfy retirement, all the things that are creature comforts for your flesh, then you're going to lose your soul in an effort for a very temporary pleasure of your flesh. You're going to lose what God has for your soul. He says your soul is the thing that lasts for eternity. You've got a much longer picture ahead of you if you learn to focus on what it is that God has for you. God is basically saying, it may not be easy, it may not be a shortcut, it may not be comfortable for you to do what I'm calling you to do, but it's going to be worth it. That's why when we quote Romans 8.28, we have to quote the whole thing because we love the first part. Everything's going to work together for good, right? Uh, We know that God makes everything work together for good. People just end the quote there. It says, no, no, no. God works everything for good if you don't take the shortcuts. Everything will work out. And this is where our faith grows because it doesn't look like it's going to work out some days. I do not understand how showing kindness to that coworker is ever going to work out for good. I don't understand how tithing when I feel so strapped for money is ever going to work out for good. I don't understand how forgiving the person who has never asked for forgiveness is ever going to work out for good. We begin to see all the things that we can't, we can't imagine them being good. And God says, this is where your faith comes in. But real good, long-term good, eternal good happens for the person or the people or the man or the woman listening today who loves God and is called according to God's purpose for their life. What's our purpose? Our purpose has always been, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, our purpose has always been to know God, to know Him intimately, to have a relationship with God. And if you do, then your next purpose is to help everybody else while you're still breathing to help them know and and find God for their life. This is all we're called to. That's what this this time here on earth matters. Not your job, how you make money, but what you do in relationship to how close you are to God and how much you help other people get close to God. That's all that matters. That's truthfully all that matters. Now, if you're blessed to have all these talents and all this time and all this stuff, man, use that in however way God gives it. And if God's given you a great job or a hard job or a rough life or a great life, praise God and say, how would you use my circumstances to make it a purpose for me to go forward to know you better and to help other people know you? This is how we begin to find not, not a shortcut, but all things to work together for good. If my purpose is to know God and to know others, then what I really care about and to help others know God, then what I really care about is what's going on outwardly. I'm not focused on myself. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is is Paul pouring out his heart saying, brothers and sisters, I'm begging you. If you want to get this, guys, if you want to get, if you want to understand what your life is supposed to be, he says, give your bodies, just relinquish this flesh. The world has told you everything you watch and hear tells you that your flesh is the most important thing make it as fun and as easy as possible for yourself while you can and he's saying if you'll ignore that if you'll sacrifice that flesh because of all that God has done for you if you'll lay your life down your flesh as a holy living sacrifice the kind that God will find acceptable that's the way you worship that's the way you 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 really truly give back to God is is laying your 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 life down as as a living sacrifice God what would you have for me? 
It says, it goes on in the next verse and says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't act like this world does. Don't, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Some of you are hearing me say stuff that you haven't heard ever before. You haven't heard that God has a plan for your life. You haven't heard that God loves you more than all of your mistakes added up. He still loves you more than that. You haven't heard that God's plan for you might be greater and better than your plan for you. These are new things. Allow him to change the way you think. As you give God your heart, as you learn to trust God in every facet of your life, including people, watch what he does for you. People matter. God has put you on this planet for a reason. It's one of the reasons that we are trying so hard to be the kind of church that reaches more people that creates more seats, more services. I want to plant more churches, not to make me famous, not to make you famous, not even for the name of Harbor Church, but for the name of Jesus to get spread out. So as we try to create more room or more churches, we need more people buying in going, God, what would you have for me to do? How can I be a part of reaching more people? How can I be a part of helping more people find hope and get to know you more? I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody yet. Because we want you to have this, I want you to go on mission every day of your life at work, at home, in your communities. We're going to invite our church, anybody who, who wants to, who can afford it, can make it happen. We want you to go on a mission trip. We're going to try to do a mission trip every year. We're going, we're, I'm bringing in some missionaries that work with MANA uh, in a couple of weeks, and they're going to talk to you about a trip where we're going to take down to Guatemala. We, we support feeding centers down there and orphanages down there and some schools. If you want to go on a, on a global mission trip, I want you to think globally. Every dollar you put in the boxes, we take a percentage off the top and give it away to people taking the, the, the mission of Jesus outside of these walls. I want you to be on mission every day. I want you to be on mission tomorrow at work, even when Karen walks in and she's frowning at you. Smile. and just be like, hey, I love you anyways. Just love them. Go on mission all the time. Understand that that's a part of your purpose. Satan will use people to distract you. God is using you to influence those same people. He wants you to be that light in their life. And you might be the only person to be that light. To your grandkids, to your neighbor, to your best friend, to your enemy. That might be the purpose that God has for you. But you have to lean into it. Don't be distracted. They're going to hurt you. They're going to stab you in the back. They're going to discourage you. Your job is to say, I trust Jesus more than I trust people. God, use me to impact people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we just come before you in prayer, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts. God, would you speak into our lives? Would you show us the need that we have for a Savior, one who would die for us? God, I pray for the person under the sound of my voice, whether they're watching at home or listening on their radio. God, if they're sitting here in the auditorium, God, how could we know you more? God, would, would you embrace a relationship with us if we'll just simply admit to our sins? God, you said that if we would confess that we're broken, if we would admit that we can't fix ourselves and instead trust you as our Savior, you said that you would forgive us. God, you said that you would you would move in our lives. God, you said that you would be a savior to anyone who reaches out to you. So I pray for every person here, if they don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would embrace you right now, that they would invite you in. They would accept that you died on a cross for them. God, I pray that they would 
lean into the fact that you're calling them to go on a mission, to be intentional about what it is we're doing and where we're going. God, I pray that you would call them to love you more than they love themselves, that they would love others more than they love themselves. God, would you help me and would you help every person in this room accomplish that mission or go on that mission? Just be intentional this week about not discouraging other people, but loving them and loving them towards you. God, help us. Help us with all the people around us. Help us with our friends and our family. Help us even with the people that we don't like. God, let us be the kind of men and women that you would use to make sure that Cape Cod and Massachusetts is a place where people can find Jesus. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.